Well, as you know, we are done with First Timothy. Oh, Dennis is reminding me. Uh, there are tear-offs in the back of the, the bulletin. If you've got one of those and you are, um, have it filled out and ready to turn in, by all means, please do. If you forgot, like I have a tendency to, uh, there is an offering box over on the d- corner. You can drop it in there after service if you would like to. Um, we'll still be able to get around to those. But thank you, Dennis, for the reminder and for getting that. I'll give you just a moment. if You, you got them all? All right. Well, <clears throat> as you know, we, we finished up First Timothy. And so we are starting in on the book of Psalms. Um, this is a little bit of a gear shift. So I, I wanted to take a minute and just kind of go through some of that. Um, we are changing time. The, the book of First Timothy was written in the New Testament after the birth of Christ, after the life of Christ. And it was how to set up the church, how to live in this, this new relationship that God has designed for us. Now we are going to the Old Testament. We're going back um, into really the songbook of the Old Testament. And so this one, instead of being a specific letter at a specific time to a specific person, the book of Psalms was actually written over an extended period of time. The, if you start looking into the specific Psalms, you're going to find that they were written really over about a thousand year period. Um, the first one that we know of was written by Moses, and the last one was written approximately the time of the Babylonian captivity. And so, like I said, roughly a thousand year span of time over which these were written. And so there's a lot of different things going on in that. Um, they're written at a different place. As, as I mentioned, the, first, uh, the earliest written one was by Moses as they are coming out of Egypt and just all that God is doing, and it's a, a psalm of praise to him for, for bringing them out of Egypt. The last one, they are in captivity in Babylon, and they look forward to, they long for that freedom that only God can give them. Um, and so the, the time and the place are different than what we've been studying. The language is different. So many, many of you will grab the, uh, the handouts that I make each week and take a look at those and use those for some extended study. Just bear in mind, we're switching. First uh, Timothy was written originally in Greek. This is written in Hebrew. And so the languages are different. The way that we understand those languages is a little bit different. The culture in each of those is different. That doesn't mean that it's not true, that it's not important, that it's not valuable. It's just be aware. There, there's a little bit of a gear shift that has happened as we switch from a New Testament passage to an Old Testament passage. Again, I'm guessing most of you already knew this. You were probably already well aware of the fact that, yes, the New Testament is written in Greek, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. You were well aware of the fact that New Testament was written after Christ, the Old Testament was written before Christ. And then as we deal with those, we have to approach them and, and understand them in their context. And, and again, I expect you're well aware of these things. But just like Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Sometimes it's good to be reminded of some of these simple, basic truths and ideas. And really, I think that's one of the underlying factors of the book of Psalms. As we dig into it, we're going to find uh, that this is the songbook of the Old Testament. It's the songbook that the Jewish people used to worship God. 
And it was things that they knew. It was things that they were remembered. And yet they would sing these at different times and in different places and purposes as reminders. Yes, they already knew who God was. But how many of you would agree with me, you get going in life and you get busy and you get doing stuff and you forget about the goodness of God or the justice of God or the mercy of God or the love of God. And you get so wrapped up and tied up in everyday life that you completely neglect to remember. Well, last week I gave out a little bit of a quiz and I asked you guys for, for some questions about the Psalms, what you already knew. Um, and, and thank you to those of you who did turn those in. I will notice not everyone did, but that's okay. I do appreciate the ones that did. Um, there, were, there were some questions that I asked that were just straight up factual. Like, what is the longest psalm? You guys remember? Psalm 119. What is the shortest psalm? Psalm 117. Psalm 117 has only two verses. Psalm 119 has 176 verses. We are actually, during this study, going to look at both of them. It is my goal during this study that we get an overview of the book of Psalms. We're not going to be able to go through every single one of them. Um, There are 150 Psalms in total, and that's means if, if we were to take one per week, that would be 150 weeks, which if you're good at math is almost three years. And as, as cool as that would be, as awesome as that would be, I don't think that we want to take the time to do that corporately. However, as we go through this, I want to encourage you to read through the entire book of Psalms during the approximately 10 weeks that we're going to be studying it. Now, that does break down to like two psalms every single day, um, which I think is is doable. I have known folks that love the book of Psalms so much that they read uh, through the entirety of it every single month. No matter what else they're reading, no matter what else they're studying, they read the book of Psalms through in its entirety every single month. That requires about four psalms per day to be able to do that. Um, That would be cool if you wanted to read all the way through it twice, but um, I want to encourage you to start reading through the Psalms just to, to catch some of these things that we're going to be talking about. But because I'm not going to be going through every single one of them, instead, what we're going to do is kind of look at the highlights. We're going to identify certain tools and ways in which we can understand what it says. As I was, was studying and preparing, I came across, across a quote that I thought was, was very interesting. He said, if you read the Psalms only for doctrine, you miss the point. Now, notice he didn't say that if you, only, if you read it and get doctrine, that that's wrong. That, that's far from it. See, the Psalms is full of doctrine. But if we only read it looking for the doctrine, we miss out on the, the breadth of the glory that is being presented. And so, as you guys know, I'm, I come from a camp background, and we used all kinds of um, illustrative uh, objects to create our lessons. So I brought in an object lesson to help us as we begin to study the book of Psalms. How many knows what this is? Can, can you see it? There we go. It, yeah, th- this is one of my paintings. This is a painting. No, I did not paint it. Let's, let's clarify. 
I am not the artist who, who did this. But this is a, this is a painting that I, I picked up several years ago. And I, I looked at it, um, and I'm like, hey, that's, that's kind of neat. I didn't really even expect to get it, but I was at a benefit auction. And if you've ever been to those, you know that sometimes things go really, really expensive, and other times nobody bids on it, and you can't figure out why. Um, this was one of those because I was cheap at the time. Um, but I was able to, to pick this one up because I liked it. I thought that it looked really neat. I mean, you know, there's a stream that's running through. There's somebody's out working and, and has a brush pile that's going, you know, it's, it's just a neat picture. Well, after I purchased it, I got to meet the artist and got to talk to that person for a little bit. And they told me some of the background and some of the history of why they made this picture, what was important to them about it, things of that nature, which I thought was really cool. And so I hung it in my house and, and had it on display. Well, then several years later, I was at a uh, little girl's birthday party. Now, I don't know about you guys, but yes, I enjoy those for a little while, and then I get tired of little girls' birthday parties. Well, it was, it was a family party. It was actually at my house for Anya. Um, <coughs> it was fun. Don't get me wrong. I, I like your birthdays. But, well, there was another, another dad that was there. And this, this uh, other dad also, you know, enjoyed the, the little girl's birthday party for a while. And then he also started to get a little tired. And we were standing around, you know, in the area, but kind of off to the side. And, and he looked up and there hanging on the wall was this picture. Well, he had just gotten done in a uh, college class of art appreciation. And so he was looking at it and he started telling me, all about the details and the intricacies of how this picture was painted. He didn't know the artist or anything about him, but he was looking at it and he could see the brush strokes and he could see the technique that they used and the way that they, they outlined it. And, and even he pointed out that there were some changes that had been made. I, I didn't know this about paintings, but apparently you can start to paint something. And he was talking about the way that the fire was drawn and the way that the fire was made it, it showed that it had been painted, and then apparently the artist didn't like it, and they went back and they, they made changes to it, and they scraped some paint off, and they reapplied in a different way, and the way that the paints are layered, and I mean, he, he nerded out about it, I'll, I'll admit. And he was telling me all kinds of stuff about the technique that was used in making this painting. If you've ever been to an art gallery, or you've ever studied art at all, you'll understand that there are, there, there's a basic level at which we look at a painting or look at a piece of art and it's like, oh, that's cool. That's really neat. That's the way that I was when I first saw this. I thought, oh, that's, that's a nice picture. I like it. And then as I began to learn more about it, my appreciation for this particular piece of art became more and more and more because not only do I understand who made it, I understand more about the technique and more of the, the intricacies of it. What does that have to do with the Psalms? The Psalms are an art form. The Psalms are songs in which people have put together their thoughts and their emotions and, and all kinds of information and they've done it in an artful way. And so, yes, we can approach it with that detailed concept in which we, we pick it apart and we look at every single little brush stroke and we get all tied up into the details. 
And that's actually a good thing because then we begin to appreciate the skill and the artistry that went into it. But sometimes we need to step back and look at it as the art form and see the overall picture. And so as we go through this study, what I want to do, my goal is not to just intricately examine every single psalm. Like I said, that would take 150 weeks, and I, don't, I, I would get bored. I don't know about you guys, but I would get bored by doing that. But my goal is to help us get some of those tools to be able to understand, okay, here's the artistry that's going on as we dig into it, as we look at those details and those intricate items, we also are able to step back and look at the beauty of all of it combined. So my goal uh, in this is not to exposit the entire book. It's not to academically decipher all of the translative methods and, and word pictures and everything that's going in, though we will do some of that. My goal is to help us to fall in love with the Psalms, to understand that it is, it is not just an academic type thing, but it's a heartfelt thing as well. If we can fall in love with the Psalms as a special part of Scripture that helps us interact with God in a special and unique way. Now, I told you I gave those quizzes out last week, right? And I got several responses about how to define, in ten words or less, the book of Psalms. Um, it's a hymn book of the Hebrews. It's praise and gratitude to God. It's various songs and poetic stories. It's praise to the Lord. It's praise and prayer. It's songs, the songbook of worship. It's uplifting. It's David's heart outpourings. And those are all great ways of describing the Psalms. One of the things that I want to, to point out, though, is when we have a, a picture, an art form like this, how would you describe this picture? You, you don't have to out loud, but think about it. There's not really a way to define this picture in 10 words or less. In the same way, I, I did kind of set you with an impossible task of trying to summarize the entire book of Psalms in 10 words or less. So I, I talked to a few of you who are a little bit like, oh man, that was so hard, I couldn't do it. Like, I know, I get it. In fact, I fully agree. But I have attempted to do it myself, and uh, this, will, this will kind of give us a, a working way to look at the Psalms. The way that I defined it was a God-approved way for man to respond. Now we're going to start digging into these Psalms and we're going to see all kinds of different things that man responds to. Man responds to God. How are we supposed to do that? Man responds to sin. How do we do that? Man responds to despair. Man responds to death. Man responds to violence. Man responds to joy. Man responds to the goodness of God. Man responds to all of these different things. How are we supposed to respond? Now, when I was young, younger, I, I didn't like the Psalms. I just, I didn't. I was a very um, academically minded, very uh, legal mind. And so I love to nitpick over rules and regulations. Some people hated playing games with me, like, like board games, because I knew the book inside and out, and I could tell exactly when they were violating rule. That, that was just the way that I was wired. And as a result, I didn't really care for Psalms because I didn't understand them. And then, um, a few years back, 
it, it actually wasn't the Psalms, it was the book of Song of Songs that I took a class in and I began to understand the way that you, un, you, you interpret music, the way that you interpret poetry, the way that you interpret these things. And I began to understand, okay, what they're doing is laying out their heart. And so I'm, I'm not sure necessarily for everyone here which type of mindset you have. You may have a very legalistic, very um, orderly mindset and like everything has to fit into that. We're going to get to some of how the Psalms actually supports and encourages that. But others of you may have more of a, a, a heart and a mindset of art and feel and, and those kinds of things. Emotions. Well, that's the beauty of the Psalms. That's in there too. So we are going to get to Psalm chapter 1. I, I know that this is a very long introduction, but I want to introduce the entire picture of what we're looking at uh, with this book of Psalms. I said already that the quote that I ran into, if you read it only for doctrine, if you only approach it with that mindset that I used to have of, of the, the nitpicky, detail-oriented stuff, you're missing out. Now, that's not to say that you shouldn't do that. In fact, God created and designed some people with that type of a mindset to be able to do those things, and that is good, and that's important. But at the same time, if you only do that, you miss the beauty and the art and the feel and the emotion that's, that's present in the book of Psalms. Now, many of you probably are already aware of that, but I wanted to, to just identify a few of those. Now, I'm gonna, I, I printed them out, and I'm going to read through them. I'll give you the references. I did not manage to put together a PowerPoint that has all of these listed, um, but I'm going to, to kind of read through a bunch of examples of these emotions. And if I read too fast and you want this list later, let me know. I will get it to you. Um, but in Psalm 38, 18, we find anxiety. It says, For I confess my iniquity. I am full of anxiety because of my sin. In Psalm 33, 8, we find awe. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. We find brokenheartedness. In Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. We find confidence. In Psalm 27, 3, though the host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. We see contrition. In Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. We find desire in Psalm 10, 17, O oh Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will strengthen their heart and incline your ear. We find despair. Psalm 42, 5, Why are you in despair, O oh my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. We find gladness and excitement as well, in Psalm chapter 9, verse 2, it says, I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name. We find grief in Psalm 6, 7. My eye has wasted away with grief. It has become old because of all my adversaries. We find gladness in Psalm 4, 7. You have put gladness in my heart more than when their grain and new wine abound. We find loneliness and affliction in Psalm 25, 16 and 17. 
Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. We find sorrow in 31.10. My life is spent with sorrow, my years with sighing. My strength has failed because of iniquity, and my body has wasted away. We even find a question that comes up that's really easy to identify with. How long, O Lord? In Psalm 35, 17, Lord, how long will you look on? Rescue my soul from their ravages. We see the entire gamut of human emotion and human's response to the situations around them. And so, as I said, my goal in going through the book of Psalms is to to help give you some tools and some ideas about how do we embrace the Psalms? How do we love the Psalms? How do we, how do we respond when, when chaos begins to happen around us? When joy begins to happen around us? When sorrows come my way? See, we, we sing a lot of different hymns and songs in this church, and, and I, I really enjoy that. I know uh, Jim would love if we had a, a different music director, and that's fine. I'm not, I'm not going to argue that one one way or the other. But we sing, and if you, if you pay attention to the songs that we sing, you'll find that there is, there is truth presented in them. And that's why we want to be very careful about who we have as that music director to make sure that the songs that we sing proclaim truth. But there's also emotion in those. When we, when we sing, um, what's the one where the, the guy, he loses his, his family to the shipwreck? It is well. When we sing, It is well with my soul. It is, just think about the emotion he must have had pondering, I've lost everything but it is well with my soul. We have songs as well, but the amazing thing about the book of Psalms is that these are God-approved responses. And so as we, as we dig into them, as we get going, we're about to turn to Psalm chapter one. I want to encourage you, embrace that emotion. Don't, don't be like I was, like, oh, no, no, I want to be just this strict, stoic, never, never, crying or never being a part of it, but this is how we respond to God. As we, as we open the book of Psalms and turn to Psalm chapter 1, we're going to begin at the beginning. We're going to begin with the foundation that God gives us of how, how are we going to enter into this process of understanding what is my response supposed to be. Now, I started off the entire series by asking the question, what is worship? I'm not actually going to answer that until we get almost to the very end of the study because I want to lay some, some groundwork and I want to examine what does the book of Psalms give as examples, as ways in which we respond to God and in which we respond to what's going on around us. But it all starts in chapter 1. And Psalm chapter 1 lays the foundation, it lays the basis for everything that's going to be coming afterwards. Now, each of these psalms originally was written as individual songs. Like I said, they were written over approximately a thousand-year period of time. But then, at some point, they were all compiled together and put into an order. 
And as, as we go through, I'm going to talk about some of those. There are different books within the book of Psalms, and there's different types and genres and styles, and all of that. We'll, we'll get to those types of things as we go. But Psalm 1 was set at the beginning of the book. I, I believe it was set there intentionally so that we understand that as we get into these emotions and as we get into this art form and as we get into all of the music that's coming up, we need to understand a certain baseline of what's going on. And that starts out, I'm, I'm going to go ahead, like I always do, and read through the, the entire chapter uh, that we're looking at, and then we're going to go back and kind of break it down. And like I said, I want, I want you to be able to step away from the picture and get the big picture idea, but I also want you to be able to dig into it and see every little brush stroke and every little intricate idea that's being presented. So let's go ahead and read the book of, or the, the chapter, Psalm chapter 1, starting off in verse 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree, firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatsoever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. How blessed is the man. Now, obviously, we have to start off, if we're, if we're looking at the brush strokes, if we're looking at the intricate details, what does that word mean? What, does, what is it to be blessed? Does anybody know? Just if you've studied it, if you've looked it up before. Hmm? Honored. Honored, okay. The, the word itself means to be happy. How happy. But as I, as I was studying and, and looking at that one and, and trying to understand how happy, I looked up uh, some of these, and I don't have that paper with me. I looked up that, that idea of, of blessed. And as you go through, you're going to find uh, in the book of Psalms, that word is used, I believe, 26 times in different ways. And some of those examples are not real joyous, like happy, happy, joy, joy, I'm so excited type happy. Some of them are, are actually kind of rough. Um, how happy or how blessed is the one that God rebukes? that God gets after. And wait a minute, how could I be happy if God rebukes me? Well, in the New Testament, we find that God gives his rebuke to his children. It means that God loves them and that God desires what is best for them. And so even punishment at times can bring me that kind of happiness, that kind of blessedness, because God's honoring me. God's wanting me to become more like who he wants me to be. But then there's, there's another one that says, uh, how blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose, whose uh, sin has been covered. Well, that would be a different kind of happiness altogether than the one who's being rebuked. It's the one who, is, who actually has that joy because God has, has put his favor and focus on them because he's removed that sin. He's removed that, that curse. And so this, this idea of, of blessed, it is happy, but it's, it's not just a, 
a short-term temporal type of happiness in which we, we enjoy an ice cream cone. How, how many else others like ice cream, right? That makes you happy, doesn't it? My, my daughter's back here. She's like, oh, yeah, yep. That, that ice cream makes you happy, but not in this kind of happiness. Okay, so, so blessed or happy is somebody. That's what, that's what we're about to dig into. Let me, let me ask you a question. Do you want to be happy? Do you want to be blessed? Well, if, if you take the time to study through and look at this idea of, of blessed, like I said, some of them seem a little bit tough. And yet, as you go through, you'll, you'll pick up an idea of the focus of God is upon you and the desire that God has for you as, as his beloved one. Another of the, the examples that I had written down, and I'm sorry I, I didn't bring that paper up here. One of, the, one of those examples is how blessed or is how happy is the one who is in God's dwelling place, in his temple, but, but with him. There's a presence, there's a closeness and a fellowship that brings about this blessedness, this happiness. So we would love to be happy, happy, happy all the time with ice cream. That would, that would be great. But that's not quite the type of blessedness, happiness that is being presented here. I think as we go through this passage, though, we're going to pick up a, an idea of what kind of happiness are we dealing with. Blessed or happy is the man that's generic, that is the person, the individual, who, and then this is one of those items in which we step back a little bit and we, we pick up a way in which the, the art form is listed. We're going to find three sets of three. Three things with three items and three people. So blessed is the man who, number one, does not walk. Number two, does not stand. Number three, does not sit. Okay, three different items, uh, three different actions that we're going to see, but three results of those, or, or sorry, three locations of those. Who does not walk in the council, that means the plan or the ideas, who does not stand in the path, the way or the road, and number three, who does not sit in the seat, that's the dwelling or the, the spot of these three things. So, so far we have this idea that blessed or happy is someone who doesn't do certain things, okay, who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, who doesn't stand in the path of sinners, and who doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. Well, what are, what are those three? What, what is it to be wicked? That is an open question. You're welcome to... Okay, someone who's ungodly, right? Any other, any other ideas? Someone who's morally wrong. As, as I was digging into this one, I got the idea of a guilty one, which is, yeah, an ungodly, a morally wrong. Someone who is guilty, okay? Um, <clears throat> I, I love using the example of speeding just because it's a simple one that we, we associate with regularly. If you have ever been guilty of speeding, raise your hand. Okay. I, thank you for your honesty. Um, you're a guilty one. That, that's, that's what it is. If you have done it, you are guilty. Well, the next one, nor stand in the path of sinners. What is, what is a sinner? Hmm? Everybody. Okay, everybody. Yes, technically. But, but what does this word mean? What, what's the idea here? Okay, someone who falls short, someone who misses the mark. There, there's a little bit more going on here, not, not just one who has done those things, 
but a regular offender is the, is the idea that's being conveyed here. So, so you'll notice not only is it three sets of three, there's a progression that we're starting to get into. Now, I, I told you this is an art form. We're, we're looking at some of the technique of the brush strokes in this. And I, I think that this is really fascinating because he starts off with the negative. Now, we're, we're getting into the hymn book of the Old Testament, and he's starting off, blessed, happy, is someone who doesn't do certain things. And he starts off with a negative. He says, how, how blessed, how happy is the one who does not walk in the counsel, that's the plan, of the wicked. Who, who, how, how many of you just walk around on a regular day, right? Mostly. That's a movement. That's a continuous you're not stopping, you're not, you're not holding still, you're walking. So, so how blessed is the one who doesn't even walk, me, being moving, in the plans of the wicked, the guilty one? But then we get to nor stand. Now, notice that there's a progression here. They, they used to be walking and moving, now they stopped, and they stood there. It's very easy to go be out and about, and to walk down the street, and you see people who are guilty, and, and honestly, sometimes we're even guilty ones, someone who does something, and you don't associate with that plan or that process. You're not a part of that. And so, how blessed, how happy is the one who doesn't walk that way in the way of someone who's guilty, but additionally, or more than, continuing that, nor stand. So instead of walking down the street, you stop, and you talk to, and interact with, the one in the path, the way, the road. You didn't even get on the sidewalk of the way of sinners. And, and like I said, that's kind of the idea is a repeat offender, a regular offender. Now, I, I asked how many of you have ever sped. Uh, you speed once, you're guilty. You're guilty of speeding. I don't encourage it. It happens. What if you constantly always set your, uh, sp- uh, not speedometer, what's the cruise control? Thank you. What if you always set your cruise control five miles above? Well, then you are a regular speeder, okay? Now, now we have some sheriff's deputies. I, I was informed they're not police. They're sheriff's deputies. My apologies. So we have some of those guys and, and various others who technically they could pull you over for that, right? If that's your regular... But they could have pulled you over for one, one offense, and, and you would have been guilty. And that's not what we ought to be, guilty at all. But then... We definitely, so more than a continuation, we don't want to be regular offenders. So blessed, how happy is the one who, who doesn't walk in the, in the counsel or the path, or sorry, the plan of the wicked ones, nor stand in the path, the way of sinners, the repeat offenders. But you've noticed it's building, right? Well, what's the next one? Nor sit. Now we went from walking around, to standing, to sitting. And this idea of sitting is, is like the, the comfortable area. How many of you in your, in your living room have like your chair? You're, you're comfortable in your chair, right? That's, that's your spot. <laughs> Bernie's over here laughing at me like, yep, yep, I got one. I have a chair, and, and I'll tell you stories about my chair later, but I have my chair. Well, how blessed, how happy is the one who does not sit, dwell, stay in the seat of scoffers. Now, we've seen this progression of, of movement, our actions, 
walking, standing, sitting, we've seen the plan and the way and the dwelling. What about this idea of wicked sinners, scoffers? We started off with one who is, is guilty. They did it once. But then we moved on to the sinners, the repeat offenders. Well, what is scoffers? In that, in that same idea, this is someone who brags about it. You ever, you ever talk to, I hope none of you actually do this about speeding or anything else for that matter, but have you ever talked to someone who's like very arrogant about that fact? They're like, yeah, I, man, I was out on 97, I was going 120 mile an hour, just flying through. That's not good. That's really not good. And I'm using something simple like speeding, but what are some other ideas that we could connect with this? What are, what are other sins in which we fall into this pit where we start off and we're like, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's okay. I can, I can do a little bit. But then it progresses and, and gets worse. And like, well, I mean, yeah, once, but, but uh, it's okay. I can, I can do this on a regular basis. That then becomes like, oh, I'm, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let me tell you, I really like whatever. I think I saw a hand. What? Lying. The things that we say. Oh, it's, it's just a, a little white lie. I mean, you know, it, it didn't hurt anybody. To making that a regular way that you speak. To even, oh man, let me tell you, I really got this guy. He, I had him going and he thought that I was going to, you know. That's the progression that we see. That's the idea. In a poetic form, in a, in a uh, easily remembered way of blessed. How happy, how focused on God, how drawn close to him is the individual who does not do certain actions, who does not walk, who does not stand, who does not sit in these things with these people. So that set of three, three sets of three is going on there. Contrast that, verse two. But instead of that, so how happy, how blessed is the one who doesn't do this, but instead, now, I would expect to start seeing another three, sets of three. So instead of walking in the counsel of the wicked, he walks in the plans of the godly. Instead of sitting in the, or standing in the path, he, he stands in the path of the, the ones who love Jesus. It's like, you, you would expect that kind of thing. That's not what happens. That's not what we, what we have. Instead, it's a, it's a major shift in which I, I think that the psalmist is, is trying to draw our attention to this even. Like, instead of acting that way, what do we have? But his delight. He finds pleasure. He enjoys. Now, hang on, hang on, hang on. We just had a major, major shift. It's not the actions that make us happy, that make us blessed. It's, it's something else. And there's, there's this drastic shift from blessed or happy is the one who does, who does not do these things, but in order to be happy, in order to be blessed, it's a, an attitude. His delight, he finds joy, he gains pleasure from something. Go ahead and read it out to me. What is it? His delight is in the law of the Lord. We have 
this contrast of one who does his own thing, does what he wants to do, as compared to delights in, finds pleasure in the law of the Lord. Now, what is, what is the law of the Lord? Well, the, the word itself is Torah, which is actually a section of the Old Testament. I, I, I was telling you that we've got a, a shift from uh, Greek language to Hebrew language, right? Well, the word that's used here is a word that means the Torah or the five books of the law of Moses that Moses gave us. But it's also used as a broader term to encompass the entirety of the Old Testament. We actually have an example of that in uh, the book of John. John chapter 15, verse 25, Jesus refers to the law, and then he quotes from Psalm uh, 69, verse 4. And so Jesus actually encompasses all of the Old Testament as the law. So yes, it does specifically refer to the, the Torah, or the, the book of instruction, or the law of Moses, but in this context and in its general usage, it also means the entire Bible, or the, the entire Old Testament, sorry. It, it refers to all of the Old Testament. So, to be blessed, to be happy, how blessed is the one who doesn't do these things, but instead his delight, his pleasure, his excitement comes from the law of God? from understanding the instructions and the teachings that God has for him? It goes on, it says, and in his law, he meditates. He puts his focus. His thoughts are on that. So we've, we've had this transition from what he does not do, these actions, to what is his heart, his attitude, his focus, his mindset. So I asked you earlier, who wants to be blessed? Who wants to be happy? Well, this is making it very clear to be happy is not what we do, particularly not doing bad things. It's what is our heart? What is our mindset? What is our attitude? Our de- the, the blessed man's delight is in the law of the Lord. He loves God's word. He wants to know it. He wants to understand it. He meditates on it day and night. That's a continuous action. That's, that's not just that he shows up on a Sunday morning, reads one chapter and says, okay, yep, I'm good. Have a nice week. It's that on a regular basis. And that's, that's why we encourage you, hey, have a, a regular Bible reading program that you're going through. I want to encourage you, read through the Psalms during this series. Make it all the way through all 150. I know I'm setting a big task, but I think you can do it. But if we want to be blessed, our delight is in the law of the Lord. Our meditation, our focus of our minds is on his law, is is on knowing what he has written and what he has instructed and what he desires from us. And then it goes on to give us a picture. One of the reasons that I brought this particular, uh, including the story, but also we have a stream of water and a tree. Now, there's a picture that's presented in this He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatsoever he does, he prospers. That's a pretty neat picture. One of the the cool things about Psalms is that there are these word pictures. This is is called a simile, is the, the technical term for it. Something is like something else. 
And we see that all throughout scripture, all kinds of different places. Well, what is the word picture that's going on here? If, if you could paint a picture of what's in your mind right now, I'm going to guess that everybody has a little bit different picture of what a tree, a good, strong, beautiful tree next to some water would look like. And, and for me personally, I grew up in the Midwest, um, and I got to go canoeing on the, the Merrimack River quite a bit. And it's, it's not a major river. It's a little bit bigger than the Deschutes in this area. But you could canoe down it, and, and you, as you would go, there were all of these trees alongside. But the thing that I noticed about these trees were that they were constantly falling into the river. As the river would flow, and a flood would come through, it ate away at the bank, and these trees would fall down. And so in my mind, this didn't really make a whole lot of sense until I began to understand Hebrew culture and the society that they lived in and the location that they lived in. And my guess is that you guys probably actually understand this a bit better than I did because y'all live in a a desert area. And I'm starting to get to, to know this. Well, interesting thing about this, he'll be like a tree planted. The idea is transplanted. This wasn't just a tree that happened to grow in that area. It was specifically and intentionally located where it was located. So it wasn't a tree that that just grew up beside the river and then the riverbank flowed across it and it falls down. That's not the kind of tree that we're talking about. What we're talking about is a tree that was selected and planted intentionally in a spot. And then we get into these streams of water. Again, I'm thinking of a river that floods and and goes down and flows and all of that. That's not the the idea that's being conveyed here. The word is, is channel or canal. You guys, you're, you're familiar with like digging a trench to get the water to flow into a specific area to hydrate that ground. So that the, that's what's going on here. And I, I didn't understand that as a teenager. I thought, okay, you know, just like these, these big um, cottonwoods that are just constantly falling down. And like, that doesn't make sense. I, I don't like psalms. They're not. But as I begin to understand the word pictures that they're presenting, you, you know a little bit about he, um, the Israel location it's a dry arid country and yet in order to have these these olive trees or or other kinds of trees they they intentionally plant them right where they want them and then they dig a channel beside it so that the water will will nourish the roots and it's been cared for and it's been taken care of that's the picture that's going on here blessed is the man who doesn't do these things but instead loves God's word, desires, meditates on the law of God. The example that's given is that he will be like a tree that has been planted. Well, who planted him there? If we love God, if we love his word, God plants us right where he wants us to be. And he nourishes us and takes care of us and digs that channel so the water will nourish our roots. Well, what happens? which yields, brings forth its fruit in its season. If we want to be blessed, we're going to be fruitful. We, we were talking in Sunday school about the fruit of the Spirit, right? We're going to have certain results, certain things come about because we love God, we love His Word, we want to meditate on it, we delight in it, we draw our pleasure from it, we're not doing these other things. We're blessed, we're happy. We're who God wants us to be, because of our association and our relationship with him, and he has nurtured us, he has planted us, he's put us exactly where he wants us, and we bear fruit. Additionally, its leaf 
does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. Again, we have a, a contrast. We have the individual that, that is blessed, who doesn't do certain things, but delights in or loves other things. And that's one person being exemplified in this passage. The wicked, however, are not so. They're like chaff. Now, we just had this beautiful picture of a, of a well-cared-for, well-taken-care-of tree that is, that is right where it needs to be and that has everything that it needs to be fruitful, to multiply, to, to produce fruit, to always be green. And then we contrast that with the wicked, who are not so. They will be like chaff. Who knows what chaff is? What, Jim, what's chaff? It's the leftovers the harvest the leftover worthless shell of the grain. And if you, if you know farming, they, in various ways and methods, they separate the grain from the chaff, and the chaff is just blown away. It's worthless. It has no value. The individual that follows God, that loves his word, that does his will, has value and importance. The wicked are not so. They're like chaff. So much like chaff that the wind drives it away. Therefore, the wicked do not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. He's created this difference between the two. And we've only barely begun to dig into some of the picture, the word pictures that's going on here. And and I could dig in, uh, we, we could keep going and we look at this idea of the wind. Well, that's, that's actually the same word that's used of the Spirit of God. Rauk is the, the Hebrew word. And it's this idea of, of wind, yes, but also spirit. And I think that the, the author is doing a double meaning here in which he's drawing to their mind the idea that God is actually the one who drives them away, who, who blows that away because there's no value in it. But also... He, he's just giving this word picture that we've already seen of the wind driving through and, and blowing away this, this chaff that is worthless. We could, we could go through and we look at, well, why would anybody want to stand in the judgment except we see some ideas, some positives of, of what that would be. We could see the assembly of the righteous. There's, there's still more to dig in. Just like if you've ever looked at a, at a famous painting, you'll find that people stare at them for hour upon hour. And they, they look at the details and the, the intricate brush strokes and they see the beauty of, of how that was formed and put together. And then they step back and they look at the entirety of the picture and how this artist has worked so hard to develop a beautiful picture. Yes, we could continue on with this, but I'm actually intentionally leaving us a little bit hanging on first on the first chapter, because I want to encourage you, go back, bask in it, study it, look at it, just read it through. Consider these, these pictures that are being presented, these ideas. He's making this contrast. And, and the, the key takeaway beyond doing that that I want, I want to dig out for you comes in verse 6. The Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish. 
as we go through the book of Psalms, we're going to see this contrast between the way of those who follow God, the ones who love Him, who love His Word, who delight in His Word, who desire to know Him, who desire to be close to Him, and those who don't. And as we go through, we're going to see all kinds of pictures of the difference that that makes in the lives of the psalmists. We're going to see David time and time again call out to God, God, wipe them out, get rid of them, be be rid of them, because they harm me, they draw me away from you. And and we're going to see David and and other psalmists say, God, I I long, I desire, my my only hope is to be with you. You, I want to be in your presence. I want to, I want to see your face. We see this, this distinction between types of people. And as, as you study, as you learn, as you, you look at the Psalms, I want to encourage you to ask the question, which one am I? Am I the righteous or am I the wicked? Do I delight in God's word? Or do I walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the path of sinners, sit in the seat of scoffers. He has, the the psalmist has gone through creating this beautiful word picture and showing us an, an art of what's going on so that we can embrace this difference and not just mentally, although that's part of it, but with all of who we are, with our emotion, with our will, with our heart, we see this beautiful picture. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree, planted, firmly planted, intentionally planted by the streams, the canals of water which yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, he will prosper. The wicked are not so. They are like chaff, worthless, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord, the Lord knows. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. I want to encourage you as we go through this, embrace the art, the beauty, the passion that the psalmists present as they talk about doctrine, as they talk about truth, as they talk about the word of God. It's not just up here. It's in their heart. It's in their inner being. And that's what they want to draw out because God created us with a mind and a emotion. And all of that together is designed to worship God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you as we embark on this new journey in Psalms. Lord, help us, help us to learn to worship you with all that we are. Lord, we will dig into the details and the, the intricacies of some of these psalms because they're, they're so beautiful. They're so well-crafted. There's such an artistry that went into them. And Lord, help us also to, to step back and just bask in the beauty 
of your word as we understand more and more of who you are and why and how we can be blessed and happy and joyous because we know you, because we draw close to you. Lord, thank you for your word. Help us to love it, to cherish it, to draw closer to it, and to draw closer to you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.